1: From Daytona Beach, Florida, this is Talking Motorcycles with Barry Boone. Talking Motorcycles, the radio show that covers the world of motorcycles and motorcycle racing. We're here to entertain you, inform you of new products, and enhance your love of motorcycling. Road race, flat track, touring, scooters, vintage, you name it, we discuss it right here on Talking Motorcycles. And now, here's your host, pro race announcer and third generation motorcycle rider, Barry Boone. And we do welcome you back to the show Rogers Call Home. Talking motorcycles. We are live today from our uh, home studio here in the garage, surrounded by motorcycles in Daytona Beach, Florida. But that is all about to change in the coming weeks. And we'll talk about that more uh, in an episode just soon to come. We'll be uh, making some announcements. Pretty cool. We're excited about that. If this is your first time to hear Talking Motorcycles with Barry Boone, we are a one-hour weekly show. It can be found in iTunes. You can subscribe right on your uh, smartphone, on your podcast app that all Apple iPhones already have. And uh, lots of ways to find us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. We are there. Hey, you know, this show is going to be fun for me personally because uh, it's about probably one of the most famous Hollywood actors uh, ever of all time. And, in a real sense, and to all of us who have known anything about the life of Steve McQueen, uh, he was also one of our uh, motorcycling greats and uh, an AMA Motorcycle Hall of Famer as well. So we could very well make this a part of our AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame series that we do throughout each calendar year and uh we we do several, probably six, maybe seven, perhaps eight during the year, and they're all there in the archives if you subscribe. This show really came about because uh, we were, for, we are fortunate, and they, we have been fortunate for the last uh, probably two years at least. I'm thinking, perhaps longer. Uh, had a great association with the folks at Motorbooks. Uh, they, if you have a tabletop motorcycle-related or, for that matter, automotive book uh, in your home right now. Chances are, if you look at the binder on it, you'll see it was a Motorbooks uh, publication. Motorbooks is uh, truly America's premier publisher of uh, motorcycle-related books, and we thank Motorbooks for providing us access to their authors. So back to the subject at hand. This is one of their authors on a book that was just released. It's uh, maybe not... It's not going to be on every Google search that you do. Well, it'll be there, but not in as many places as it will be in the next few weeks. uh, As the book really begins to hit, it's available now on Amazon. It's called McQueen's Motorcycles, Riding and Racing with the King of Cool, and its author, Matt Stone, is our special guest on today's Talking Motorcycles with Barry Boone uh, radio show. Uh, Let's see. What uh, what would I like you to know right now? I'd like you to know that this portion of the program is brought to you by the Harley-Davidson Motor Company. And uh, I am right now pretty much focused on one of the uh, Harley Davidson models that was released a few weeks ago here in Daytona at Daytona Bike Week. It was shown for the first time, and now it's you can see it everywhere. But it's the XG750A, and we'll t- maybe get a chance to talk more about that before we go to break uh, here in a few minutes. But uh, suffice, well, let's, i tell you what let's do, because I do that all the time. I start stuff and then I don't finish it. It's like, you know, uh, I'll do that later, and then later never comes. That's just one of the uh, fun things about live radio. The XG750A is uh, really the first new iteration of the XG750 introduced a year ago, and uh, the bike has, so I rode one of those, and and they're still a capable motorcycle, but however, uh, as I rode it, there were things, me, Barry Boone, who likes a real performance seating position and a responsive package that handles well in a motorcycle. Um, I like it, and but I needed more. And what they did with the XG750A deliver. It, it has, for example, a high output Revolution X engine. The little Revolution X 750 is a strong, cool little horse. Got it was. It's a lot about high RPMs. Uh, that is not Harley-esque. However, it's a great feeling. Um, it red lines at nine grand, for example. I mean, it's, this is a river. Uh Drag bars, true drag bars with bar end mirrors. I have bar end mirrors on the Royal Enfield B5 Bullet Classic, I love that. Uh, 43 millimeter inverted front forks and piggyback reservoir rear shocks. It changes the, the stance of the bike. It gets more weight on the front wheel, a little less on the back. And it, that combined with the drag bars and then the massive uh, uh, brakes that you'll find uh, on both ends of the motorcycle, really does give it a, a quick, easy kind of handling style that is really fun for ripping around city streets uh, in any urban environment, whatever kind of surface streets you like to ride. I like to ride surface streets. I do it a lot here in Daytona Beach. I find it fun. Uh, you may or may not be of that same milk, but I love riding inner city, especially at night. That bike was cur- just absolutely carved out of billet aluminum to be the machine of choice for doing that. It is really a fun, fun package to ride. And I recommend you ride one signature Harley Davidson dealer. That is all on the street. Seven Fifty. uh, back to the show. Uh, so Matt, what about Matt? Well, Matt's written some other stuff too. Uh, Matt wrote a, a book uh, previously, uh, about Steve McQueen called, uh, McQueen's machines. And truly there was not, but one chapter about McQueen in it. So that was in 07. So he decided now to come back and do it again. He decided to, to make it um, an updated version that absolutely uh, talked about um, Steve McQueen's life. Steve McQueen's life as a motorcyclist uh, and an actor and a man. And gosh, it, it is such a great book. Here's the thing about motor books. They send us lots of great tabletop books. And I have to say they're high quality stuff. So uh, it's hard to choose, you know, which, who am I going to have on when I have a slot? And I do now have a slot. It was easy for me to do that this time because Steve McQueen, here's the thing. He was, he died. Let's start right there. He died November 7th, 1980 at 50 years young. Uh, Really think about it. He only lived to be 50 years old. Hey folks, that's, uh, I, I, I would hope for many more than that, right? but he was young, but he'd already made his mark on, on motorcycling. And of course, in Hollywood and around the world as, as a, a famous actor, yours truly at the time of McQueen's passing was uh, 26 years old. And that puts me exactly one, I call it one motorcycle generation removed. If you think about what happened in that 25 year difference in my age in McQueen's, um, Trump, Bonneville, BSAs, uh, Harley sportsters, they were uh, ruling the streets of America for the biggest part of McQueen's uh, younger life um, until later. And then Triumph, of course, that's that's his brand. I mean, that's the brand I think we all associate McQueen with the most, no doubt, is Triumph, uh, especially the desert sled area, which is something I really want to talk to Matt about when he comes on here in a few. Uh, but But... Then he transitioned into Husqvarna's and and discovered those when he loved desert racing. So that was fun uh, learning the uh, 350, 360, two stroke uh, power plants and and kind of opened up a whole new era for him. But McQueen lived at a time when I think is really, really cool. And having Matt Stone, the author, come on because he knows more than I do and he knows more than you do about McQueen uh, will give us all a chance, I think, to learn together. Uh, more about the uh, truly amazing life that's not anything like you and I might think it would have been. Uh, Stephen Queen's early days were troubled, and uh, you know, just he wasn't a guy from a moneyed-up family. Uh, he he was, in fact, uh, struggling in his early years, and and the military maybe helped save him a little bit. In the Marines, uh, did a stint there, honorably discharged, uh, changed his life for sure. And and of course, we we will find out how he discovered motorcycling and more uh, from Matt when we come back here in just a couple of moments. How have you been doing? What have you been riding? Where have you been riding? I've we've uh, done a good bit of riding, but not enough. We're getting ready to make a trip this next week, I think, up to our uh, original hometown in Owensboro, Kentucky. Looking forward to making a road trip, <clears throat> hoping to take in the American Flat Track Round Three of the tour uh, at Charlotte. Uh, Saturday night, if all goes well, we'll travel Friday and be there Saturday and then um, Sunday make our way on up to Kentucky. Think we'll take uh, one of the Harley Davidsons and two-lane only the whole trip because that's how we like to do it. Uh, that's kind of our plans, but it's spring, folks. And uh, other than nasty thunderstorms that we all have to be aware of and watch out for, uh, spring is in the air. It's beginning to warm almost everywhere now. And we are ready to get those bikes out of winter hibernation for those of us who live in uh, with Nanook of the north in the cold. Uh, as for us down here, it's a never-ending oil change and replaced tire deal uh, because we just ride all year round here in Daytona Beach. And you it's no problem. Do do use electrics uh, for a few times throughout the winter, but mostly do not require them. And man, we've been riding it now. Everybody's going to be riding, and there's so much going on in the motorcycle industry coming up that we're too excited about the possibilities. Uh, for the show going forward. woo! Let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll see if we could rustle up Matt Stone, the author of McQueen's Motorcycles, Riding and Racing with the King of Cool. Thanks to the Harley-Davidson Motor Company for this portion of the Talking Motorcycles program.
2: Your ride is more than just miles. It's a mission to squeeze more freedom out of every click of the odometer introducing the 2017 touring bikes from harley-davidson the powerful all-new milwaukee eight engine delivers 10 percent more torque for quicker acceleration paired with a new suspension that gives you more comfort and control on every ride what does uncompromised freedom feel like why don't you find out for yourself discover more at h-d.com and live your legend compared with original equipment 2016 touring models
1: when an automobile mm-hmm. driver hits a oh, motorcyclist, great. what is um, the first thing the driver says? I didn't see yeah, them. Four, six. That's right after six, they have six, suddenly turned eight, left 80, into your path. When we crash our motorcycle, what is the first thing we say? All right, I didn't 80. see it in time. Could have been a deer, a decreasing radius corner, sand, the or the debris commercial. in I'm your lane. The like simple that. fact is most I motorcycle accidents work. are preventable. And that is why I bury Boone of Talking Motorcycles recommends Clearwater Lights, the ability to see and be seen on our motorcycle is exactly how we prevent avoidable motorcycle accidents. When you call Clearwater Lights, you will speak to a real live person who specializes in you you, and quality products. Clearly there's a brighter idea. Check them out at ClearwaterLights.com. See, this is live radio folks. It's unedited too. And I think I left the mic open. You probably heard me talking to our caller, Matt Stone, who um, had called and said, Hey, I'm having trouble getting in the reason he couldn't get in the studio and into our luxurious green rooms is because I had emailed him the wrong telephone number. So Matt was uh, going to be a minute or two late to the show. So with that, what I will do is I will tell you that there is another side of Steve McQueen that I think we should recognize today. Um, since uh, we love our Hall of Fame shows, and we love talking to the uh, men and women that powered motorcycling and made it all happen, and uh, we would love to have the chance to talk to McQueen live on the show, but obviously that's not going to happen. So, having Matt Second Best, uh, one of the things I found interesting a while back in our Hall of Fame series, we had Mert Lawwell on the show uh, from the On Any Sunday movie Fame and a great career in flat track, a bicycle, BM. the guy that, that really invented BMX bicycles, founded them, if you will, uh, built most of the frames uh, for several years in Grand National Flat Track competition. An XR750 had a law wheel frame where it was in the back of the field. I mean, he, he had about 60, 70 percent probably of the uh, top teams on a law wheel frame. Well so at any rate, Mert told us some things about uh, Steve that I found fascinating. And the background story on this is Mert had an accident. Um, Well, he crashed at Daytona. He'll tell you about that. And then he had a flat track accident uh, up at a place where I've been several times, Castle Rock, Washington on a TT. And um, he got his arm mangled. And so he, of course, from on any Sunday, he had found, you know, McQueen. They'd found each other and become friends. And this is Mert Lawwell's story. On uh, Steve McQueen, and it's it's just less than five minutes, so uh, we'll we'll get another idea of the generosity of the man, and then we'll come right out of that, and we will be welcoming the author of McQueen's Motorcycles: Riding and Racing with the King of Cool, uh, Matt Stone, to join Actually, us in a moment. Uh,
0: I became friends uh, with uh, Steve McQueen and Malcolm. Well, I knew Malcolm uh, before, but became good friends with Steve when we did the filming uh, on Any Sunday, and because uh, that was filmed in seventy. Well, in 71, I was uh, hurt real bad. Uh, I had had fallen at uh, Daytona up on the high banks at 150 miles an hour. I blew out a rear tire, and down I went. And I was just recovering from that and got back to the West Coast for one of the first races, and it was a a TT race at Castle Rock, Washington. And uh, a rider fell in front of me, and I hit him, and my hand slipped off the handlebar and got caught between the front forks and the frame. Well, while that was being happening there, well, that was, it had my hand trapped and it was, smashed it, and my body's going through the air at the same time, so it takes the ulna and it twists it on the other side of the, the radius. And um, uh, that was just an extreme pain, of course, from that. So when I went to the hospital that night, why, the doctor says, well, when it's broken this bad, there's nothing we're going to do, so we're going to fuse you from your knuckles to your elbow, and you're just going to have a club. So think about what kind of shape you want your arm to be in. you want a hook or do you want it to point? Or oh what do you want God. it to be? And uh, wow. so he said, you can see another doctor if you want, but you're wasting your time. Luckily, my wife was there, and so she got me a bunch of pain pills and, and medicine and that and because uh, it was not compounded. It was all broken inside. And uh, put me in Cal Rayburn's uh, motor home and drove uh, from Castle Rock, Washington to uh, San Francisco. So by the time I got here, while Steve McQueen heard about it, and he called me, and he says, hey, my Dr. Curlin uh, is in town doing uh, a seminar. you got to take your x-rays up and show him. So Steve set it all up, and I went into the into the doctor's, Curlin's, uh, who uh, was the L.A. Rams uh, football doctor at the time. And uh, he held the x-rays up to the light, and he says, kid, he says, you got some problems here. Uh, I want you to come to L.A. and see this Dr. Stark. He's better at... Um, uh, Building, rebuilding hands than I am. So I come back, and I call Steve, and I say, oh, he wants me to go to L.A. I had a bad year. I fell at Daytona, so I've not been making any money. And uh, I'm just going to have my local guy do the best that he can, and I'll we'll just have to go with that. And he would not hear, but he says, no way. He sent me the ticket. He had his driver pick me up at the airport, took me right straight to the hospital, and they checked me in with uh, Dr. Stark. And like Dr. Stark says, well, I hope you brought your toothbrush. So. Um, wow. Uh, they checked me in, and, and uh, the hand was uh, such a major complication that it was actually used in a medical journal to show people how to rebuild hands. And he told I'll me that how he did gruesome.
2: it.
0: Yeah, i bet Yeah, he just opened are up the back of the hand, <laughs> and he says, well, this pile of pieces is going to be this uh, bone, and this pile of pieces is going to be that bone. And he just reconstructed the whole thing, and he had seven pins in it operated on it five times, and I have a a left hand now that's just as normal as nobody would suspect there's a thing wrong with it at all. And and being friends with uh, Steve, uh, I had it operated on, like I said, five times, so I would stay at his house uh, at each operation. And uh, when the bill came with, I never saw the bill. Uh, Steve intercepted that. He paid the entire thing. I never paid a
1: penny. Oh, my gosh.
0: And that's what Steve did for me.
1: That is amazing, and that will create a lifelong kind of indebtedness, won't it? I mean, no matter what, that's so huge. And Mert, that's a miracle, really, isn't it?
0: It totally is, totally is. And when he did the uh, the shooting the film uh, on any Sunday, why he fell and he broke his foot. And and being uh, reactive like he is, why he had his staff research all the doctors to find the very best uh, doctor they could find. And uh, so I had the benefit of his expertise there of finding the best doctor
1: how cool was he to hang out with there at the house did you I'm sure he was home some of that time
0: oh yeah yeah a lot and, and uh, oddly enough we were sitting in the driveway one day and he's talking to me and he says Mert you're the luckiest guy in the world and I said well why is that and he says, well you're number one and you earned it he says, I can never be number one I can only be an actor I'm only whoever I'm playing to be I'm not really me and he envied my position, and I said, well, you're a movie star. You know, that do not make sense to me, but uh, that's how he felt about it.
1: That's the thoughts of AMA Motorcycle Hall of Famer Mert Lawwell and uh, the life-changing uh, moves that Steve McQueen uh, really did make to impact uh, the future of murt uh, Lawwell. As we know today, Mert has founded Mert's Hands, and they're manufacturing hands for wounded warriors and people that have lost hands and they're incredible. People are racing motorcycles, driving race cars, doing all kinds of things with Mert's hands. Uh, that is Mert's story of Steve McQueen. But now we are fortunate to bring to the show the man who uh, this show is all about. It's really about McQueen, but it's through the eyes and the camera lens and the words of Matt Stone, the author of McQueen's Motorcycles, Riding and Racing with the King of Cool, now available on Amazon and better bookstores around the country. Matt, welcome to the show, sir.
3: Hey there, Barry. How are you? Number one, Lawwell, one of my heroes. What a great story, huh?
1: I uh, know. Cool. And and when he told that story, I had cold chill bumps. Um, really enjoyed the book. It, I was telling our listeners in our open, Matt, just briefly, that we, uh, we get a lot of good books from motorbooks, really great motorcycling publications they send us. Every once in a while, one grabs me and This one grabbed me because I could not read the story of Steve McQueen's life in motorcycling and not relate it to my own because sampling how, you know, our brains work. And uh, I couldn't help but think about uh, McQueen and the motorcycles that influenced him. Great job on the book, sir. Congrats.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. It was an absolute privilege and a joy to do a lot of work but an absolute joy to do and a, and a wonderful discovery for me as I went through uh, his bikes and his life as a motorcyclist, and it was, uh, it was a, a serious thrill to, to do this book, believe me.
1: How, how much help did you have from Steve's family and, and uh, significant others and such?
3: Uh, definitely had some, and, and, uh, and several of them added uh, value along the way. I'd say first and foremost, I'd have to thank his first wife, Neil Adams McQueen, uh, and Neil had a mar- had marvelous photos in her photo albums and archives, uh, several of which appear in the book, and um, some great stories to tell. She told about when her and Steve were first dating, and he had an Indian sidecar in uh, New York, and he'd pick her up on this bike, and off they would go. So uh, Neil was, uh, was hugely helpful. Also to son Chad McQueen, who over the years has helped me with a variety of uh, writing projects about Steve. And then finally to uh, his, his third wife and widow, Barbara, a marvelous photographer she was, is, and uh, she also contributed photos. So I would say that the, the family and friends was, uh, was fairly supportive, and, and, and that helped a ton.
1: Well, and, and it's so cool to hear that because his first wife, um, you know, I, I remember reading, I think it maybe even in your book. I, I bet it was uh, um, that Steve had uh, made a date with a gal. And when he explained to her, he'd be picking picking her up in the Indian sidecar. She sort of said something to the effect of it's going to be me or that motorcycle. And he sort of said, it's been good knowing you. That's he was pretty committed to motorcycling in his personal life, wasn't he?
3: Absolutely. Uh, committed probably doesn't really describe it, Barry. Fanatical. I, I mean, Mike, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but but he was as serious a cyclist as you're going to find anywhere. I mean, absolutely driven and committed to motorcycling and being a great rider and racer, which he certainly was.
1: Real super competitive guy, right?
3: In everything he did, he was a a uh, martial artist, and, uh, yeah, in talking with Bud Eakins one time, who, of course, that name will be familiar to just about anybody listening to this show, Bud told me that whether it was lagging nickels, shooting a gun, riding a horse, doing a stunt, racing a car, riding a bike, Steve was very competitive guy, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, one thing about, about McQueen was... Even in the face of like Hollywood, those, those uh, managers and the people at the studios that kind of own you, uh, they, they, do, they can and they do sanctioned by contract what you are able to do when you're not working for them and when you're between films. And I, I know that there's stories abound about Harvey Mushman and the pseudo names that he used to keep racing when he really wasn't supposed to be racing. And I've always loved that aspect of him.
3: Yeah, that's true. There, there were a couple of times that uh, that he was hit with restraining orders. Uh, one time when it involves car racing, uh, I forget. I guess it was when he was doing television, Wanted dead or alive, and he said that uh, he figured out. Well, let's see, I can you know make you know tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars acting on television and movies, or I can make a few bucks racing a car, or riding a bike. So for the good of his, at that time, very young family, he said, okay, I'll uh, I'll quit racing, which, of course, he did not. <laughs> but um, but you're right, there there were a lot of ways that, that Steve could work and trick the system. Uh, one of the ways, of course, was getting uh, motorcycle stunts programmed into the script of The Great Escape. So he was going to ride and he was going to race on the camera or off of it, whether they knew it, liked it, or not. And, yeah, he was... He was a little bit uh, sneaky and devious when it came to all that stuff, and, you know, Steve always flew his own plane, literally and figuratively, and, uh, yeah, that was one of the most endearing aspects of his persona.
1: And you did a great job, I think, of uh, dispelling myths and misconceptions, not not that that was your point and not that that's how you approached it. You did not. You approached The Great Escape, uh, the 1963 film, super factually, but... I think you did the best job I have ever seen beyond a shadow of doubt of bringing to light the, the many details, almost at times minutia, which we are, all, I think all of us crave knowing more about that stunt because it was, it was kind of like the chasing in bullet. It was like, man, it's just uh, iconic.
3: Yeah. Well, I had some help there. First of all, there was a lot of interview material from Steve McQueen in the time, in the 60s, where he talked about that. And he was pretty pretty open about it, but, of course, a lot of that stuff just got lost. He was on the Johnny Carson show. He was in magazine interviews. So he actually talked about that a fair amount. And the real Quinella with that was getting to talk to Bud Ekins about it in person before he passed away. And Bud just sat and told me the whole story and said, you know, this is how it was, and this is how it was, and then what, what was true and what was not. And so the fact that there was a lot of, of, of live interview material available with Steve from the day about that stunt and that film, and, of course, going one-on-one with Bud, who actually wrote the stunt, and told me the rest of the story. So I had some real big advantages of help there, being able to tell that factually, and I hope in an interesting way.
1: Oh, no, totally. Um To me, that I mean, talking about his co-stars, talking about Coburn and those guys and and, and how the stunt came to be and how it was going to be all about McQueen and how it ended up being Bud. And then it seems to me that the two of them had a pretty kind of special friendship, too, that was not contentious necessarily. But there again, the competitive nature of McQueen and perhaps Bud, too, really came out in the friendship, right?
3: Yeah, I would say, honestly, Barry, that they, they were brothers. I mean, even though not by blood, I mean by spirit and, and through motorcycling. Dave Eakins, who I continually thank for writing the foreword for this book, and I hope you enjoyed that too. Dave, Bud, and Steve were brothers as much as any triplets could be. But, but yeah, those guys were both competitive, although it was, in fact, Steve that brought Bud in on the filming of that movie. I mean, Bud was introduced to the producer and director by Steve. So Steve handpicked him for that part, even though I'm sure there was some competitive aspect to it. They were friends at the deepest levels, and like I say, closer brothers than any triplets could possibly be.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the the I guess the archives where you were able to access these pictures, uh, there there's some fabulous pictures of McQueen during the making of the movie. One of them I particularly love was... Uh, in street clothes, uh, cruising around on the bike they used in the film, which is, I, I don't know, it's just, it's just so McQueen. And the whole the whole book, one of the things I think about motorcyclists is we're visionary people. I mean, we love looking at motorcycles and all of us, everybody of all types and especially the types we love the most. And this book has truly got some of the best photographs in it, uh, Matt. It's It's an amazing photographic history of Steve McQueen and motorcycles.
3: Well, that was the goal, because I started in this whole game 3,000 years ago as a photographer. So to me, the the visuals are just as important as the words. I mean, you have to get the words right. You have to get the facts right. And, of course, the quotes from the people involved are critical. But, But without good photography, both archival, which I was lucky to find a lot of, and then uh, a lot of the new photography, much of which I did myself, uh, had to all measure up. So without the visuals, you got nothing. I, I think it just—it's just gray pages. You know, you have to have the photos and and looking at some of those wonderful old bikes. I mean, how could you not appreciate the architecture and the detailing and and the the finish of some of those machines? Uh, even if you don't, even if you're not a big bike person, I mean, anybody would appreciate the design and and the architecture of those bikes. And then the the uh, all the archival photos really brings home the period context, which again was a huge part of my goal with this book.
1: Well, and and honestly, how can you look at one of today's motorcycles, any of them, and not and if you're a historian at all, if you've been around motorcycles your entire life, you always go back to that. Reminds me of this. That reminds me of that, and. There's not much new under the sun. I mean, I have an old, I have a 2012 Royal Enfield in here with a 1944 design frame, and uh, I look at that and see all the British influence. And then I think about, wonder how many triumphs McQueen uh, sold as a brand ambassador, unpaid by by Triumph.
3: Oh, I'm not sure we could ever calculate that in any meaningful way, but I mean, you know, sure, he he rode the Triumph in the ISDT. He rode them in, uh, in uh, Great Escape. He owned many multiples of them, street bikes and, uh, and, and desert racers and sleds and all that. I mean, it's, it would be impossible to know how many people bought Triumphs because of Steve McQueen. But it, it is many, if not hundreds, deep into the thousands, I'd have to say.
1: I have to think even today, the image of Steve McQueen on a triumph is selling triumphs. I'm almost confident. Wow. This is now we're getting somewhere, Mr. Stone. We are getting to a place that I find (laughs) super interesting. And that is the motorcycles and his passion for them, the particular brands and the progression of his life as a motorcyclist that and more. When we come back, I got to take a break here in the show. And uh, as we go to break, I uh, do want to say to all of you that this section of the show has been brought to you by our good friends at Clearwater Lights. And uh, just to be honest, there's the clear. What is that people ask me? What's what's the difference? You can buy lots of different lighting for your motorcycle. Well, if I were to put it into concise words, I would say Clearwater Lights, they're compact. They're easy to mount. They're easy to install. Um, They maximize the full potential of the uh, high powered LEDs using micro, uh, little cool advanced microprocessors. And it keeps the light output constant at a real wide range of voltage. They're fully programmable. Uh, the feature I love is when I hit my flash to pass uh, on my headlamps, it, boom, it's instant brightness. Or even my horn, when I hit my horn, the lights go to full bright. And full bright with clear waters, the ones I have on the Royal Enfield are 6,000 lumen each. So uh, we're, we're, when we are talking full bright here, folks. We're talking Fulbright attention-getting lifesavers. Let's take a break and we will be back in just a couple of moments with much more from Matt Stone, the author of McQueen's Motorcycles, Riding and Racing with the King of Cool in just a moment. Get yourself a cup of coffee and settle down. We're going to have fun talking motorcycles.
2: This isn't the sound of an engine, it's the sound of a moment, an experience, of your heart beating stronger than ever. It's the sound of discovering more. This is the sound of the 2017 Harley-Davidson touring bikes taking you on an unforgettable journey, powered by the all-new Milwaukee 8 engine, and equipped with a new suspension that gives you more confidence, comfort, and control, so you feel the difference. Discover more at h-d.com and live your legend. Paired with original equipment 2016 touring models,
1: Welcome back to the show. Our special guest is Matt Stone, and he is special because he wrote about one of the most special actors, motorcyclists in uh, American history, Steve McQueen. And we're here to talk about uh, that book. This portion of the Talking Motorcycles program is powered by Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, the only tires you can buy for your motorcycle made in America. And when we get to the end of this segment, I'm going to tell you just briefly about a couple of tires that um, one that just hit the streets uh, this past week and one that I discovered a while back that I want to share with you. Back to the show, back to uh, Steve McQueen discussion. And when we were so rudely interrupted by thanking our sponsors, we were talking motorcycles, uh, McQueen motorcycles. And, Matt, one of the uh, cool, I think, the bike that maybe got McQueen started, I learned in your book, was, I think, a 1947 Indian. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned briefly about McQueen's discovery of motorcycling and how it infected him for the rest of his life
3: well for sure uh, he uh, he didn't have a lot of money as a starving actor back in New York way back in the day uh, and and motorcycles were cheaper than cars and and they used less gas and you could park them anywhere and uh, and they were fast and uh, he had an mg later had an mg with wire wheels on it and you're driving an old MGTC or TD on the, um, the pothole streets of New York, and you're busting a wheel about every 100 feet. So it made a lot more sense to ride a sickle, as he called them. And he, he had that India, and that was, uh, that was his bike that he, he, he went out on dates on, went everywhere on, went to casting calls, went to work. I mean that was his only mode of transportation, rain, shine, or snow. And of course, he's he like most guys, you know, I'm sure chews off somebody at a stoplight and raced some guy and might have beat him, might have not, but thought you know this racing motorcycles is pretty cool. So he started racing bikes at tracks and on the street, sometimes for money, sometimes for who knows what. And um, and he was hooked. And from then on, he just kept getting bigger better newer and faster motorcycles as he could afford
1: them and as a guy that spent about seven or eight years uh, announcing every grand national flat track race in america i quickly uh, came to appreciate uh motorcycle racing history and that led me to the isdt it led me to desert racing and desert racing and and that of course you can't you can't read about desert racing without being drawn to mcqueen and perhaps that's the segment of the book if i if Matt, if someone said to me, what is the thing you enjoyed most about McQueen's Motorcycles, the chapter that you most loved? I, I think it might have been the uh, chapter four, desert sledding, and the uh, period of the <laughs> 60s and 70s. That, that is, to me, when he really proved his badassness as a uh, motorcycle racer and rider.
3: Oh, totally. Yeah, he could run, ride, and race with the best of them. I mean, he was, he was no dilettante actor racer by any stretch he wanted he wanted to be real genuine and be good Uh, and there was nothing less than any of those that was going to work for steve mcqueen and he practiced hard and he rode hard and he he paid attention he understood the technical aspects of the bike i mean that's how he got into those rickman triumphs because he loved that that lightweight frame and and all this the technicality of running the oil through the frame for cooling and I mean he was smart Steve McQueen was smart and he applied himself you know he didn't care uh about he was not about fashion on his bikes I mean he um he wanted to understand how they worked and he wanted to make them faster and better so he could be faster and better and um he rode well and he rode hard and and my goodness, what a legacy. I mean, an absolutely genuine motorcyclist, if you could name one.
1: And, and the pictures in the book that, that of course, we've seen some of these iconic pictures of him before, some of them on in this chapter, chapter four, uh, when he's on the Rickman Matisse, but looking at his gear at the time, I mean, you know, he couldn't help but just be a stud puppy, could he? I mean, he just, he had a sense of style that was just natural and and all about him, I can certainly see how he was the heartthrob and and a man's man, too, in Hollywood. Uh, he was the real deal, wore all the proper stuff. I mean, it's, I don't know. And then you'll see a picture on the next page where he's uh, in a T-shirt and a pair of khakis uh, with off the ground about three feet. I mean, uh, the guy just had style on a motorcycle. I'd like to have ridden with him.
3: He absolutely. Just look at the cover. Look at the cover shot of the book. He's rolling along there in England on that Triumph and he's got a a shirt on and a pair of khakis and some little suede booties and and, and one hand behind his back and just riding along like, Mr. Badass on my new Triumph here in London and, and, and cool as ice. I mean, if I knew what that guy had, I would bottle it, I would drink a gallon of it, and then start selling the rest.
1: I'm with you. Well, that picture on the cover of this book is worth the price of admission in a way because it looks so good on a tabletop. But McQueen, in that picture, okay, so Matt, what you've described is a really cool dude on a really cool motorcycle on a really cool street, really enjoying the sport. But in reality, in a real sense, when I every time I ride a motorcycle, I don't look like that, but I sort of feel like that. And and that's how I became <laughs> through your – That's that's how through your book, I, I think I wrote this to you in an email. I'm not sure I was thinking it, but it's like I got to shake through your book. I, I had the chance to shake hands with Steve McQueen, the motorcyclist. I got to know the guy on a really uh, personal level, and and that's that is hard to do. I think with words, I I stand in awe. I know you've had one book, successful book in the past, uh, McQueen's Machines, but this one you really focused on the man, didn't you, as well as the motorcycles.
3: Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a lot about both. Uh, McQueen's Machines, my first book about Steve's cars and bikes 10 years ago now, 2007, uh, was a huge seller and, and had, in my opinion, one disappointingly small, too short, and wholly inadequate chapter about Steve as a motorcyclist because we didn't get to show, show nearly enough of the bikes or nearly enough of the rider and that was my goal here was to take that chapter and do it proper and uh and and yeah, shaking hands with Steve as a cyclist, uh, I get that and and he, you're right, it's just so crazy because sometimes you see him in those photos, and he is geared up to the nines. He's got all the right stuff, and he is geared up, and he's safe, and he's ready to ride the i s d t and that barber jacket and that bell helmet or whatever. And you turn the page, and there he is riding the Honda Elsinore through the trail with no shirt on, and no helmet, and no gloves. Crazy.
1: Yeah, well, crazy, but uh, it's something that we've all kind of done from time to time, but apparently he did it a good bit. In fact, there's a great picture of him on the Hus Varna, uh, shirtless with uh, open face bell on. I wear an open face bell now about oh, 40 to 50,000 miles a year in New Mag9. Talk about that later. But um, okay, so you've touched on another area. This is, what, again, what I, the part, I, one thing that intrigued me about the book. I'm sounding scattered, but I'm actually very organized in my head. Um, the desert sled era, the Triumph thing, and and the Rickman Matisse and all of that. But then it seems in the book, I gather that one day somebody said, here, Steve, go ride this Husqvarna two-stroke. And that sort of got a new, began a new era a little bit with him, didn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Barry, that's true. And and Bud, uh, Bud Eakins put it in almost those words. He said, you know, Steve was really, really loyal to Triumphs and all about Triumphs. And then one day he wrote something called the Husqvarna. And he says, and that really changed a lot. I mean, Steve, obviously, he could afford any bike, any bikes, 10 of them, anything that he wanted. Could afford whatever. Name it, he could afford it, two of them, 10 of them, a garage full. But, uh, and, he, and he really loved uh, some of the more traditional brands, let's just use that term, but, uh, but nothing could replace the, the performance at that time of a 400 Husky, and, and according to Bud, the minute he got on one of those, he was transformed, and all of a sudden, he started racing those things like crazy, and had fleets of those.
1: Well, that that was a a, a beast of a motorcycle. I mean, anybody in in this listening audience, anybody that hears this show now or 20 years from now in somebody's archive somewhere that's ever ridden a 300 to 400 or even 500 CC single cylinder two stroke Woods bike is like, my God, the power of a 400 Husky. I I myself, again, this is again the handshake about uh, 10 or 20, well, 15 or 20 years after that, I was racing in the eighties a Husky 360 automatic. And so I'm reading about McQueen in your book. And again, the parallels only I'm 26 years removed from McQueen. Uh, uh and it's, it's amazing the progression of motorcycles in his life to me, but you know, um, it, it seems to me looking at his collection and the bikes that he rode. Well, let's, before we go there, let's talk about this. I also got that he, at some point in time, He's as he got a little older and had more money and freedom from that comes with that. Uh, he turned the page on Hollywood, didn't he? He kind of pulled away from Hollywood and embraced motorcycling like a real fiend.
3: Yeah, true enough. As he got a little older, he was doing less and less movies. He had he had plenty of money, and uh, he was uh, he he really began gathering bikes. And and I and I and most people would say he became a collector or he collected. I don't believe Steve McQueen collected anything. He gathered. He just assembled stuff that he liked. And that could be a pallet with a pile of an old Harley Davidson full of parts on it that he would someday or not get to. And other times whole bikes and racing bikes and old bikes. You know, back into the very dawn of motorcycle I mean, what was that Pope, 1909 or 10 or something like that? I mean, right. he had old right. stuff, and, and he just would fill airplane hangars and garages and warehouses full of motorcycles and motorcycle parts. And, and I mean, we would now call him a collector. I don't think he would cop to that term. He would maybe admit to being a gatherer, but um, he started collecting dozens and dozens and then ultimately hundreds of motorcycles and uh yeah just had fiend is probably a good term i mean he was just whatever he saw and liked and there are stories of him riding you know going or driving thousands of miles to buy a bike Uh, one time with barbara wife number three they went somewhere i forget where uh, idaho maybe i don't know somewhere in the middle of nowhere to some guy in a farm that had this bike that he wanted to see and he went and they went and bought it and put it in the truck and took it home. And and he thought of nothing going thousands of miles to see, to look at a motorcycle and then maybe buy it, which, you know, I guess a lot of us would do now, but, uh, but back then that was, that was pretty serious stuff.
1: That's pretty cool. I I asked you if you could be on for two segments, would you mind, let me take my last break of the show and stay with me just a few minutes after, uh, and let's kind of wrap it up a little bit it's like I'm drinking good, cool water on a really hot day, and I don't want to quit.
3: I'm with you. Tank is full.
1: You are the man. All right, so we uh, we will be right back, and, and when we come back, we're going to thankfully have a few more minutes with Matt Stone of McQueen's, the author of McQueen's Motorcycles, uh, Riding and Racing with the, with the uh, King of Cool. With all due respect to Kenny Coolbeth, who is the modern-era King of Cool, and deservedly so in Grand National Flat Track competition, the original King of Cool was, in fact— and may always, that title and moniker will probably always belong to uh, Steve McQueen. We're going to break as we go, though. Um, producer, hang on just one second. Um, I want to talk to you about, this is a one-minute story, so don't hang up on me. Um, the 1995 Harley Ultra Classic FLHTC carbureted Evolution engine bike that that I finally found that ended a two-year search for uh, going back to what I once enjoyed, a 95 Ultra classic. I won't give you all the reasons why the 95 model, but carbureted Evos have a special feel. And that chassis has a special feel as well, one up or two up. And so it had an old set of, well, they're actually very nice set of Michelin Commando twos on it. And when I bought it, and of course, the show's sponsored by Dunlop, The way before they gave me money and tires, I bought. I gave them money and bought tires. Um, and I've been a huge fan of Dunlop's on touring bikes ever since. But the new American Elite is out. And I put a set on it the other day that Dunlop had sent us. And, oh my gosh, you talk about a transformation. It's like that bike finally now works the way I wanted it to. The American Elite is the only aftermarket tire line for Harley-Davidson that's designed, tested, and manufactured in America from domestic and foreign materials, but designed, tested, and manufactured in the USA. It d- does some things that you need to know as a touring heavy touring rider. It delivers enhanced tire mileage thanks to multi-tread technology developed in American superbike racing. Uh, rear tire compound that's got a long-wearing compound in the center, lateral grip compounds on the shoulders for great handling. Uh, it is um, it's available black wall, white wall, and all that stuff in all sizes for touring bikes, but. Until you actually feel uh, multi-tread technology and intuitive response profile uh, of the Dunlop American Elite, you're really not going to get it. But suffice to say, uh, it handles now that Harley does the way it was meant to handle, and that can really only happen with a Dunlop motorcycle tire. Matt Stone, when we come back to wrap things up on our good friend in motorcycling, Steve McQueen. Dunlop is the largest supplier of original equipment and replacement motorcycle tires in the U.S. and the only motorcycle tires made in America. With operations headquartered in Buffalo, New York, Dunlop has been making and selling high-quality tires in the U.S. since 1923. With an unparalleled championship record, Dunlop Race Tire Technology transfers directly to the street. Dunlop, the only tire for your motorcycle made in America. would be excellent background music for video footage of Steve McQueen on this 67 Bonneville with one hand behind his back and his right hand on the throttle uh, in a t-shirt and jeans cruising down some boulevard in LA. Uh, Welcome back to the show. Riders call home. Talking motorcycles is uh, live. We do not edit anything. It's all live. We love the live radio. And just in the next week or so, folks, we're going to be making an announcement. My studio that I've used for three years is about to become uh, not my studio anymore. We're going to be in a uh, WNDB in a radio station with a producer, a great producer, great equipment. And we're really, really excited to bring this show to the Daytona market. And I'll tell you more about that uh, later on Matt back to you and thank you again for waiting out the break and choosing to be with us for just a few more minutes Um, I um, would like to know a little bit more about the post acting era Steve McQueen as a collector well not a collector as a gatherer of motorcycles and as a rider of motorcycles do you know did he do a lot of street riding later on in his life did you learn did I miss that in the book I probably did
3: yeah, he he did uh, about that time as he got a little later in life and uh, and was uh, not acting quite as much and was uh, uh, divorced of uh, first wife Neil and then married and divorced of second wife actress Allie McGraw. Uh, he just was gathering motorcycles at a furious pace and and by then had uh, had met his uh, his third wife and widow Barbara Minty. McQueen uh, he had a bunch of Indians big Indians big chiefs and and uh, big twins uh, all heavy bikes with bags and and stuff and and old ones and new ones and and, and cruised around the, the 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 Southern California countryside quite a bit they did on uh, mostly on big Indians and um, he wasn't racing so much anymore he probably still hit a trail or two now and again but most of his writings seem to be concentrated on um, on big Indians and some sidecars and uh, really, really interesting stuff.
1: I, I kind of ask you, in, in, in writing the book and putting all the material together, God only knows how many thousands of hours is involved in research and compiling this amazing kind of documentary of his life. Uh, what is the one top quality of McQueen as a man that you kind of picked up on that maybe you personally admired the most and would most like to emulate in your life?
3: Authentic or authenticity. I'm not sure which word I would use, but both. He was, whatever Steve McQueen was or wasn't, he was authentic. And I will, and, and one little sidebar to that. A lot of people say, you know, he raced cars, he raced bikes, he lived on the edge. He had a death wish. And I, I think that's completely wrong. He had a life wish, and his, he lived his life the way he wished. And, and, and uh, you know, I would say he was as authentic, right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent, as authentic a person as you'd ever come across. Whatever he was, there was nothing phony about him. He was an authentic guy.
1: You know, that's interesting to me, because when I think about the legendary people in motorcycling, the ones who had those careers that lasted a lifetime, whether no matter what they did in motorcycling to power the industry in their own way, uh, the one quality that I've, I try to teach when I do classes with young, young riders hoping to be professionals or young professionals trying to get better at speaking is to always be yourself. I find that the people that can exude more of who they really are will be accepted as genuine and their careers are just guaranteed almost to be uh, much longer. And maybe perhaps that is then the new reason for me why McQueen is the king of cool.
3: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. He was completely authentic. You know, his, his day job, so to speak, was to be somebody else. So if if there isn't a desire within us or was within him to be other people that was his chance to do so, uh, legitimately and be paid for it. But when when the camera was off. The the lights were off. He was himself and nobody else ever.
1: You just brought home the same thing that we heard earlier. And listening to Mert Lawwell is at the end of it, he tells the tale of sitting in the car that day and McQueen looking at him and going, I really admire you. You're a national number one, you know, grand national champion. And, he was like, gosh, but, you know, you're this and you're that. But to McQueen, uh, I bet you being a grand national champion would have meant more to him than starring in uh, a half a dozen of those movies. it's you just get he's a motorcyclist. Matt, I, I do feel like I know Steve McQueen better because of you. And I think our listeners do, too. And you've given us so much of your time today. I, I want to thank you for being with us. And I've got to ask you, what's your next project now that this one's out?
3: Well, I just actually published another one. Uh, for those of you who are into hot rods and, and drag racing, uh, you probably know who Ed Iskandarian is, Isky, the cam father of Isky Racing Cams, who is now 95 years old and still in the game, and uh, just published his biography called um, Isky and the uh, the History of Hot Rodding. And and this is another guy who's been completely genuine for you know 75 years of his career. And uh, that one is also just out and available from Amazon, Cartech Books, or, um, or Auto Books bookstore in Burbank. So uh, Isky, all about uh, the, the famous cam father, Ed Iskandarian, and the, the birth of the speed parts movement and hot rodding in Southern California back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That is my other new baby this year. So I got two legendary guys, very different, but in some ways similar, uh, that are legendary in the world of automobiles, bikes, and speed, and that's Ed Iskandarian and, of course, Steve McQueen. Now, what's on for next year? I don't know just yet, but uh, those are my two most recent and current projects, so you know what I did all last year.
1: I do. Uh, Tell me about um, Isky. Uh, Would he be open to doing a radio show with me, maybe perhaps if you would join him?
3: I'll bet he would. Uh, He's extremely sharp for 95 years old, for any age. He's very well-spoken and and a master storyteller. Yeah, if we could arrange the logistics, his his shop is not so far from me here in Los Angeles, and uh, if we could arrange the logistics to get us both on phone lines together, that'd be a lot of fun.
1: Well, and sometimes it's better when you're not sitting in the same room. If you're both just on the phone, you just kind of shut everything out. That's the beauty of radio and you use your mind and such. Well, that would be cool because uh, I've never done any non-motorcycling programming on this show, but I have a feeling that that would be something of interest to many, many people. And if you'd come to, that'd be great. We will work on that. Um, How many books now with that one being?
3: Let's work on that one offline for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, How many books have you written in your career thus far?
3: I would have to go to my office and count them,
1: but i wow. want to say
3: twelve twelve or thirteen now
1: oh that's awesome. Thank you for documenting I, I, the...
3: think, I think these two are thirteen and fourteen maybe something like that something just over a dozen i'm not so I'm not so self centered that i I track that number religiously, but a dozen plus let's call it that.
1: It's, I got a little kinship with you. I, I, through this show, I love to shine the light on people that, that have powered the industry over the decades. And I love getting them on record. And, and you and I are doing exactly the same thing, but in completely different ways. Uh, I have a, I do have, feel like we're, we're cousined, so to speak.
3: Works for me, man.
1: Alright buddy, thank you so much for being on with us Matt and just best of luck going forward and good luck with the new book that uh I guess it's everywhere, right? I mean I'm, I'm sure Barnes and Noble's will have it and uh everywhere else, Motorbooks has got a pretty pretty long tentacles.
3: Yeah, all those all those places that you just named, Publisher Direct from Motorbooks is fine, Amazon is fine or Autobooks bookstore in Burbank, uh, all three of those places have them and uh Yeah, racing and riding with the king of cool, and indeed he was. And, Barry, I appreciate you having me on. I've had a good time chatting with you, and I hope that our listeners have enjoyed the show.
1: Matt, thank you so much. That was Matt Stone. Author of McQueen's Motorcycles, Riding and Racing with the King of Cool. I learned some stuff and I'm really, I'm kind of invigorated now. And I want to go out and ride the old infield with my t-shirt and jeans. Wearing my Bell Mag 9, which we just put a new set of Cena headsets in. We're both using them. Love it. And the new Bell Star. Don't have time to talk to you more about that. Do have time to tell you that we're getting excited. We're buying tickets um, now. Uh are recommending you about your tickets. Now I have media hard card for the first two rounds of the Moto America series circuit of the Americas is going to be here before you know it, April 21st, 22nd and 23rd. And right after that, the next weekend, road, Atlanta, road, road, Atlanta, April 28th, 29th and 30th, be sure and make your plans now to support Moto America road racing, because it is important uh, to all of us here in America that they are wildly successful. They just had their announcement here this past weekend of all the new pay- paint schemes and packages. Dunlop tire testing now uh, completed, uh, down in the uh, circuit of the Americas. So they are all tested and tuned and hopefully ready for a big show. Been a blast. I hope you've enjoyed it too. I certainly have. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Talking Motorcycles with Barry Boone. Ride hard, ride safe, have fun.